turn that on. I'm going to talk about something that's very practical, something that we can each of us relate to. This is really just a one-off message. Um, we're not beginning a new series or anything. It's a one-off, uh, short devotional for us just to be thinking about an area that I think most people, really all people, uh, struggle with, and that's the area of pride. And so this short lesson is really just titled, A Pattern of Humility, True Greatness. Um, I was listening to a message by a famous preacher speaking on humility, and he began the, the message by saying something like this, Today we will talk about humility and how I achieved it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that was C.J. Mahaney or somebody. Uh, but I'm, I'm not here to say how I achieved it, but I am here to say that this is something that all Christians struggle with. We need to be continually mortifying pride as it rears its ugly head. As no sooner than we find some levels of success, whether it's in our individual callings and in parenting or children, a child wins an award or something like that, you know, we, we, can be, we can fall into pride. And we need to be careful not to do that and to remain humble. Another reason why I chose this topic is because, and I've been mentioning as we've been going through Ephesians, those of us who are familiar with the doctrines of grace, okay, I'm not terming the doctrines of grace after some theologian of the past, Calvinism, uh, we call it doctrines of grace, okay? We don't follow necessarily John Calvin. We follow the Bible and how it displays his do- the, the beautiful themes of grace. And so that, as you know, can make one uh, proud, you know? There's a whole lot of evangelicalism that has no concept of predestination, has no concept of election and all of that, and we want to take our theological club and try to beat the sovereignty of God into them. No, we shouldn't. We should remain humble and realize that we've learned that only by the Spirit as he's illuminated the Holy Scriptures to us. Um, Another story that I read of some time ago, a seminary student had just graduated and was teaching his first, preaching his first sermon. He was overly confident, held his head up high as he went into the pulpit But once he was there, he choked, he stumbled over his words, he cut the sermon short, closed in prayer, and then came down. As he left the pulpit, he hung his head low as he left the pulpit. And later, one of the elders of that church came up to him and whispered to this embarrassed young man and said, if you had gone up to the pulpit the way you had come down, you might have come down from the pulpit the way you went up. Um, so anyway, the elder was right, not that you come down proud, but the idea to realize that you are nothing and that anything good that comes from you is ultimately from the Lord. In Proverbs 29, you don't have to turn there, it says, A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. That's something that we should meditate on. That's something we should, we should consider. That's something we should think about. Even the Apostle Paul, he says in, in uh, Ephesians 3.8, we'll get to this, that I am the least of all the apostles. There's a sense in which there's some humility there. Let's turn to, Johnny, can you get 1 Corinthians 15.9? And Abe, could you get 1 Timothy 1.15, please? And we'll look at um, these couple of verses. 
Okay, so there is a similar theme to the uh, Ephesians 3.8. And then uh, 1 Timothy 1.15. So Paul, again, recognizing that, uh, you know, not that the whole pedigree of, that you see in Philippians 3, um, where he says, I'm of the true circumcision and so forth. Uh, if anyone might find confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcise the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, I'm the chief of sinners or I'm the foremost of sinners. So you see, again, something there of the Apostle Paul's humility. Uh, John Stott said, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility the greatest friend. You see, the friend, humility is a friend, pride is an enemy that needs to be ran off. Colossians 3.12, so as those who have been chosen of God, there we are, we're chosen of God, right? The elect. Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So, as we talk about this, coming back to Proverbs, a man's pride will bring him low. Has there ever been a time in your life where something that you're willing to share, where your pride has brought you low? Has there ever been a, a time that you can reflect on that's very vivid in your memory where that took place? I'm sure there's several in, in each of our lives, but is there something that, that's really tangible that, that would be beneficial to share? I can show. Okay, deep feel. There have been times in during literary competitions that that is at some point speaking or something and I very confidently delivered You have to deal with that, right? Because you have to confess that, and you know you were proud, and, and all of that. So, yeah, good. Gil, you were going to share.
Yeah, I'm glad you brought out something, Gil, that's good, and that is that at the end of the day, we recognize, like Paul says, um, what do you have that you did not receive? And so to be proud about our, you know, being able to speech or how great of a husband or a singer or whatever these, these things is foolhardy because ultimately the Lord has given you those abilities. It's not something that you've drummed up. It's not something that you were smart enough to order on eBay and now you have the gift of singing or something, you know. You downloaded it into your vocal cords or something, you know. It all comes from God. Um, Cindy? Proverbs 11, 2, when pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with humility is wisdom. So first of all, just briefly, the pitfalls of pride, and then we'll look at the greatness and glory of humility. God clearly hates pride. What was the great sin of Satan? It was pride, right? It was pride that cast him out. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling um, John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. And so um, this boastful pride of life that especially young men in their vigor can have. Jonathan Edwards, perhaps the greatest theologian that has ever uh, come from American soil here, said this, the worst viper that is in the heart. He said that of pride. He goes on to say, the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ. Now think about that. When you're proud and you're arrogant, your communion with Christ is going to be hindered, right? Christ is the one that's even, if you're in Christ, and I think all of you here are, that if you're in Christ, it's, it's because of his work that we have communion with him. So when we're proud and we elevate ourselves, really kind of we're elevating ourselves above God, that communion snapped. It's gone. It's sapped. There's nothing there. He goes on and he says, Jonathan Edwards, he ranked pride as the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lust. Pride takes on many forms, but typically it has one end, and that's what? Self-glorification, right? That's what pride is, a glorified self. Uh, this is the ultimate purpose of pride. It, it, pride, it ultimately robs God of his glory, his legitimate glory that is due to God. We're robbing God of glory. Now let's think of a couple of biblical examples and turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. And who would like to read 22 and 23 for us from Acts 12? Okay, Matt. 22 and 23. The context, of course, is King Herod, right? And the people are rallying around. Voice of a God and not a man. You know, in other words, uh, um, shouting that, that he is God. 
and he's eaten by worms um, and breathed his last, literally. What about, let's go to Daniel chapter 4. It's a familiar passage. Daniel 4. And really, you could read all of chapter 4 for the sake of time. We're, we're not. Um, let's pick it up at verse 30 to 34. Who, who would like to read that? Bit of a long section, but 30 to 34. I got it. Okay, Rob. And then verse 34. on to say he realizes all the inhabitants of the earth is nothing and then in verse 37 now I Nebuchadnezzar praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways are just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride now this is just a fascinating story talk about being humbled I mean when we're humbled sometimes we get egg on our face or you know we we're embarrassed for a day or whatever, uh, sometimes more graphic circumstances. But this man was reduced to what? Living like an animal. Living like an animal, okay? Claws the whole bit. His senses comes back to him. I guess the hair withdrew or fell out. Um, and, and ultimately, at the end of the day, what does he say? That he is able to humble those who walk in pride. What a great reminder one man said, pride is more than the first of the, seven, first of the seven deadly sins. It is itself the essence of all sin. Uh, other examples could be given. Um, just one, one final one, Second uh, Chronicles 32. Second Chronicles 32. And in regards to Hezekiah and his prayer here, it's also recorded at the, in chapters 38 and 39 of Isaiah, a different account, but uh, verse 24. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill, and he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received, because his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him, 
and on Judah and Jerusalem. However, Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come on them in all the days of Hezekiah. Now, there's, there's a more amplified version of that, and, and like I said, Isaiah, we're not going to go there. Isaiah chapter 2 says the pride of man will be humbled and the loftiness of man will be abased and the Lord alone is to be exalted. Well, so much for the pitfalls of pride, just very briefly there. Any comments on pitfalls of pride before we go into humility? Additional thoughts, okay. The greatness and glory of humility. Why is humility so great? I'm asserting that it is. Okay, it glorifies God, that's excellent. It's pleasing to the Father. It brings glory to God. God is pleased when his children walk in humility. It's a humble dependence upon him for everything that we do, whether it's our vocation, our callings, our, how we train our, our children. Uh, it's all of that we are dependent upon him. Isaiah 66, for my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Furthermore, humility is great because it is Christ-like, isn't it? And we are told to be imitators of God and imitators of Christ. Matthew 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you you will find rest for your souls. Turn to John chapter 13, the Gospel of John. We see the Lord here right before the, uh, he was to be crucified, before the upper room discourse. This is actually part of the upper room discourse in chapter 13 when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. This is a context. Let's pick it up at verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and, and taken his garments and reclined at the table with them, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. He sets forth a pattern of humility, setting aside his garments. Um, We could read verses 5 to 11 there, but that gives the account where he's washing the disciples' feet. So... To follow that example. Now in 1 Peter, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. Verses 1 to 4 speak of elders there. But look at verse 5. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. Now, in verse 5, he says, be subject to your elders. 
Um, older men in general is what he's speaking of. You younger men, be subject to older men here. I don't think it's referring to that only elders. It's those who are your, uh, that are elder to you. And he says all of you, that's all classes of men, um, all sexes to be subject. And then to clothe yourselves. This is the imperative here. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. So that's the command. That's the imperative in this particular verse here. Um, possibly an allusion to a slave girding himself for service as he girds himself to go work in the, the field or whatever. You know, there's certain clothes that were worn. I think that's the imagery here. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Maybe uh, Peter was thinking back to that upper, upper room discourse that we just read. And on, the part we didn't read was when Jesus come, came to wash Peter's feet, what did Peter do? No, 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 no I'll wash your feet and so forth. Maybe he was reflecting on that and he learned this particular lesson of humility. And so he writes in, this, in his epistle, first letter here. So gird yourself with humility, clothe yourself with humility. In the New Testament, it's the quality of a voluntary submission and unselfish humility. Why is this concept of humility so foreign in our day? It is, isn't it? It is. Everything's about me. Right. It's the me generation, isn't it? Everything is centered around Burger King. What does Burger King say? You know, have it your way. That's all that counts, right? That's, that's what our culture is trying to tell us again and again. It's just a foreign concept. And it's even, I think it can be foreign even among Christians. National pride, you know, we're Americans or whatever, you know, this kind of thing. Um, selfishness is, has been mentioned. And so that's why it needs to be cultivated. That's why we need to obey the imperative by clothing ourselves with humility. And what better... Um, uh, training ground than in the home, right? Wives submitting to their husbands in humility. Husbands loving their wives in humility. Leading, not being a dictator. Seeking to lead and love. Thomas Brooks says, Christ dwells in the heart, that heart most eminently, that has emptied himself of himself. Christ is the humble man's manna upon which he lives and by which he thrives. Um, it's no secret that George Whitfield and John Wesley had differing views of the doctrines of grace, and um, they debated. There are several uh, letters that went back and forth. They were both mightily used of God in England in the 18th century, uh, without a doubt. And there was you know, some differing uh, views. We're not going to go into all that. But when someone asked Whitfield if he thought he would see Wesley in heaven, now what do you think Whitfield said? Are you kidding? He's not a full Calvinist. Certainly he won't be there. No, he didn't say that. You know what he said? Whitfield replied, I fear not, for he will be so near the eternal throne and we at such a distance that we shall hardly get a sight of him that he'll be closer to the throne. And that's a, a good way, to, a, a good thing to think of. When you, you, know, you, you think of others, you may be sure you're right, whether it's doctrinally or something else, but 
if they love the Lord and they're in Christ and the doctrine is right about who Christ is, really, at the end of the day, they can be in Christ and we can esteem them in love. Now, can you think of a time when you've demonstrated such humility as Whitfield did to Wesley? This is the kind of thing we should be thinking about. Thirdly, it is necessary to be useful in service of God. The greatness of humility, the glory of humility to Humility is so important for us as Christians because if we're going to be useful in the kingdom of God, if we're going to be useful in ministry in the church, we must be humble. The prophecy in Micah where he said, Micah 6, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Philippians 2.3, a verse we mention quite often here, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's something, that, that's a marriage verse right there, right? Just have that hanging on the refrigerator, and the next time you start to have a little disagreement, oh, okay, she's more important, she's, you know, um, or vice versa or whatever, but that's a verse that we should have in our minds. That's a verse that we should memorize. It's one that I memorize. I still don't practice it all the time. Um, you can pray for me in that regard. But to think humbly of yourselves. We're not to consider more of ourselves than what we really are. We're not to consider ourselves as superior to others, you know. This whole American mentality. and We're so superior to the rest of the world or to the Haitians or something. No. Absolutely not. We are all image bearers of God. We've been made in the image of God. True Christians exist throughout the world and in all different types of backgrounds and cultures and so forth. So may we never, ever come away with this idea that we've got it all figured out. We're in the richest nation on earth. Boy, aren't we special and pat ourselves on the back. No, that's pride. It needs to be mortified. So in practical terms, how are you obeying these mandates in your life? Doing nothing from selfishness, empty conceit, walking humbly with your God. I'll read one more. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. That's another good one to memorize. That's Proverbs 15.33. The fear of the Lord is in the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. So in what ways are you putting some of these things into practice? In the church, in the home, in the workplace? Can you think of any examples to share with us? If you're a Christian, you're humble, that's for sure, right? Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because studying who he is. He's so big, he's so magnificent, so amazing, so uh, unbelievable that it automatically puts us in our place. It's good to have regular studies in the attributes of God, you know, whether it's a home group or Sunday school, something I'm thinking about the next couple of months, actually. So you can be praying along those lines. And that's, that is one of the goals, to study God that we might know him, right? And in knowing him, we are utterly humbled. Charlie. In our uh, last 
that's good. Very good. Anyone? Yes, Melba. That's really good. Amen to that. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 40, you know, he brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. Praise the Lord. But then he didn't, just didn't drop me again to sink back down, right? And he, he set me on upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. That's cause for great rejoicing. I saw another hand. Johnny? really good. Thank you for sharing that. In fact, that's Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 22, verse 4. Well, bringing this to an end, um, you can... exactly right now how does the health and wealth gospel crowd remain humble god wants to make me rich i'm never going to have a runny nose and all of this you know it's just a, it's just so contrary to scripture god uses the sufferings of this life the trials of this life to sanctify us to help us to long for heaven more to depend on him more that is all the way the way god works and that's a glorious thing and i'm thankful and i know that 
firsthand with different health afflictions that I've had to, to deal with, and I think most of us in various areas can relate to that. Uh, last verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn there with me, 1 Peter 2. And this really kind of ties off to what Tamri had just shared as well. Verse 20 to 23. For what credit is, is there if, when you sin, you are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. You have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile and return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Isn't that what we're to do? And it can't help but to read verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness in him. So not reviling in, in return, but entrusting ourselves to God. The very thing Tamara just said. Um, one final thing. Thomas Brooks has an excellent in his works on, um, on humility. It comes from Ephesians 3.8. One other quote. Uh, a humble man, when wrongs are offered him, okay, we're going to be treated harshly. We're going to be treated wrongly in this world. A humble man when wrongs are offered is like a man with a sword in one hand but salve in the other. He could wound but he would heal. You see that rather than retaliate right, to bring healing and to offer a word of peace instead. So let's take these truths away um, and to try to implement these as a reminder. This is something I think we can't hear too much of and, and something that I thought was um, perhaps useful for us. Are there any final thoughts or comments before we close in prayer? Very basic lesson. Good to be reminded of these things. Have them at the forefront of our mind. And let's just see what stumbling blocks Satan might throw our way this week where we might catch ourselves starting to become proud and we're reminded, oh, need to humble ourselves before the Lord. So let's close in prayer. Matt, would you close our time in prayer and be dismissed?